yeah man you work at a video store and you don't watch this movie about pirate porn like <laughs> come on dude <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And it's now time for our final episode of this month's series, our October series on the body horror genre. And today, we're talking about the most famous director of the genre, the gold standard, as they say, and that is David Cronenberg. Before we dive into David Cronenberg, his life and career, Thomas, can you give us all a little bit of a recap on what we've talked about this month regarding the body horror genre. Yeah, so it's a genre that, that you and I were both admittedly kind of new to. We we'd seen a few things and um we haven't we hadn't gone deep into it. And I think you and I have both gone deep this month. Um I I've enjoyed our time, but I'm a I'm a little ready to <laughs> watch something else for a change. Same. Especially in this past like two weeks, in addition to trying to like make my way through all of Cronenberg, I've also been trying to touch on like some other touchstone films within the genre that we haven't talked about this month. So, but we, we talked about how this was born kind of, of the, uh, universal monster era, you know, kind of like Frankenstein and these kind of movies, which I, we can talk about today too. Of something I've noticed with Cronenberg, especially with the fly is this idea that like all of the body horror back then was kind of like anything in the Hayes code era was, was, un, you know, it was this idea of losing control of your body, but you weren't getting the like visceral uh, representation of it in the yeah. film. Yeah. And then in the 70s and 80s, when when Carpenter and Cronenberg started working in it, it was this idea. And then a lot of these movies were remakes of those films from that era. But actually, now we could make it rated R and we could show what was actually happening. But it all deals back with this idea of losing control of your body for for some reason. We talked about with The Thing, how it can date back to uh, the Cold War and these concerns about like something coming from outside, whether it's from outside of America or from outside of Earth and slowly taking over your body, your brain, the bodies and brains of people around you. And especially in those kind of films, uh, converting them into like a hive mind. Um, not something we're going to see as, as much with Cronenberg, but a little bit, but uh it's just this kind of idea as as I've I've gone into it more. You've gone into it more. I think we both come away with this idea that it's like losing control of your body and seeing it being altered in some kind of horrifying yeah. way. Yeah, it's usually yeah, it's usually a like kind of a physical disruption that not only affects your your physical body, but also your psychological state. Uh, in a way and that's what's interesting about Cronenberg we'll talk about today it's like he is a guy he, he, he I, I mentioned I, I'm doing we're doing an interview I did an interview with my butt with my roommate uh, David Glenn the fourth and the, you'll hear later in this episode we kind of talked about Cronenberg's view on this and like one of the things he talks about how like is he views like the human body as like chaos in a way it's like it's a bunch of like molecules and things kind of put together and could easily go wrong if something gets altered and and that's what always happens in this genre and again, you have characters that kind of this kind of permeates genre as well. It's like this idea of trying to fight for their humanity once they become this thing or have transformed in some way. And you'll that'll mm -hmm. pop up in The Fly. That's popped up this month in several of the films we talked about last week. We talked about this with Akira. 
Um, and another thing to kind of go with that too that happens, I think, a little bit in in Cronenberg's films is that you're going to have that kind of really third act moment where it just gets kind of crazy, mm-hmm. uh, like The Brood being kind of the perfect example of how like mm-hmm. it's very slow, and you're in a certain movie for a while, and then something happens, and you're like, oh, that's the film we're in. Um, and so yeah, that's going to be kind of part of this of this that's been part of the genre this entire month that's going to kind of come to head here with with david cronenberg uh and so as as you said and as we've said like we we haven't we didn't know much about the genre and when looking at this month this is one i was like i don't know much about david cronenberg either because uh i had seen most of his like more mainstream films like the fly or like the dead zone really and so what what were your thoughts on david cronenberg i guess before we we started doing this the series. Yeah, Cronenberg's one of those people I always knew he was kind of this revered body yeah. horror uh, director, but I was more familiar with his kind of later work, his more recent work. I mean, he's still continuing to make movies, but um, like I think the first Cronenberg movie I ever saw was was History of Violence. My mm-hmm. parents like bought it on dvd when it came out i don't know if someone had recommended it to him or what i don't know why they bought it we didn't do that often but i remember they bought it and watched it and they were like this is awful <laughs> like shelved it in our house and then at some point like like a year or two late it, it might have been like come oscar season that year and it was like nominated for stuff i was like you know i was in like early high school maybe i was like oh this is like people outside of my parents people seem to like this movie so i um so I watched it and like really, I think it's a great film, but nothing like 80s, 70s Cronenberg. And uh, also saw Eastern Promises. I remember I was in college when Eastern Promises came out and it was one that was kind of like initially maligned, but then like slowly gained. I don't want to call it like a cult film, but it was one like I didn't hear great things about it when it first came out. But then like I started talking to people and they'd be like, oh, I really like Eastern Promises. Yeah, and uh, you and I have a friend who loves that movie, and so I um I watched it a while after it came out, and um, thoroughly enjoyed that one too. But yeah, definitely like like his gritty crime era is so different. Yeah, it's so now, different having, now having revisited. But yeah, really, The Fly. I had really only seen The Fly on television. They used to show it fairly often on like Sci Fi, but um that was really the only of his body horror films that I was familiar with going into this. Yeah. And that was, that was the kind of same with me. Like, I think I, I had started watching like, I watched Videodrome a few months back. I think just because like, I need to watch Videodrome was kind of the thing. And I got flack from some person on Letterboxd at one point. Like, you work at a video store and you've never seen Videodrome? Yeah, man. Like, you work at a video store and you don't watch this movie about pirate porn? Like, <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> like, what? what is that? It has VHSs yeah. in it. What is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I, I, was like, I was like, first off, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> Second off, I was like, people have gaps so you can calm down. But yeah, it's like... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's like I, same thing. It's like it's like I was aware aware of Cronenberg and kind of had seen some of his movies, but I really hadn't do, like really dove into the works mm-hmm. of him. And so this month has been very enlightening because because it's it's interesting of like kind of watching the films kind of all all together, where it is a difficult feat. I, I, I I've said like I I would there would be some days where I would watch like three movies and I was like. 
I can't do this again. I have to watch something. But there, like, there are also the, where this pays off for us a lot of the time when we do these. It's like there are some patterns in there that like I, I oh don't know yeah that, that I wouldn't I have, seen. have seen. But like yeah. oh, by the time I was on my third movie, I was like Cronenberg hates doctors. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's the same thing I said. <laughs> it's all like scientists and doctors who like do yeah. something wrong that affects people. Well, and everything, you know, so much of when we were talking about the thing and we were talking about these movies that kind of had more of like a Cold War impact on them. It, mm-hmm. Like we said, it was this idea of something other, something outside coming into your body. So much of Cronenberg is about cancers and like your yeah. own body so- somehow mutating within you to like multiple. Like I, I could wish you could tick mark every time you watch one of those movies and somebody says the word tumor like it's it's <laughs> obviously like deep in his mind that sort of thing is not not necessarily and sometimes there's a little bit of outside influence but all of his movies are like science gone wrong somehow turns your whole body against you yeah and it's i I see also a lot of things of like people mentioning the flesh is another Mm -hmm. thing it's like you have the long live the new flesh out with the old like in video drone but then like i was we were watching I feel like it was shivers and people were like mentioning like the flesh. A little too much flesh in that movie for me. And and sh- sh- and shivers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two more things I want to bring up with Cronenberg that I want to kind of state here now. It's like you kind of mentioned we kind of mentioned it in the in the uh, in the recap. It's like there is a kind of connection between like the 1980s body horror movies and the 1950s body horror movies. And I think mm-hmm. that's very much apparent in Cronenberg's work. I think one film that he does that a lot in is actually Naked Lunch, where it's this kind of comes out in 1991 but has a very 80s vibe to it but specifically like set in the night specifically set in the 1950s and has that kind of visual style of the opening credits and the music but it's like also mixed with like surrealism it's his most surrealist film by far um but the other thing i want to state too like what he does that i i i kind of told people when explaining cronenberg i was like his movies are very cold and i'm not saying mm-hmm. that in a bad way they're supposed to be yeah that's true thank you (laughs) they're supposed they're supposed to be cold and i think they're supposed they're like they're always at a distance it's like what i mean by like being cold like you're always an observer it feels like in cronenberg's work and i think sometimes people uh think of that as a negative thing when i think that's his purpose the the entire time and because of that he succeeds in that yeah, and when we've we've discussed that a little bit this month, kind of with our reviews, with with Ebert um, on a couple of movies, but this idea of you know yeah. intention, if sometimes you can say like I don't like this movie, but I do think it accomplished what it set out to do, and that is admirable, like in its own. Ebert, not a big fan of this genre. No, but I think he's also aware that he's not a big fan of this genre. It's yeah. kind of the thing. Um, so yeah, so. Let's dive into Cronenberg's kind of early beginnings. So some of this information's kind of come from a lot of different sites online. Specifically, I, I looked at kind of these two interviews, one they did with The Guardian for his film Maps of the Stars in 2014, and the ones with the an interview with New York Magazine for History of Violence in 2005. So David Cronenberg was born on March 15th, 1943 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada to Esther and Milton Cronenberg. Uh, David was raised in a middle-class progressive Jewish family. Esther was a musician and pianist who played in clubs and and ballets, while his father was a journalist and writer that also owned a bookstore. 
Cronenberg would say that his father was very eclectic, writing things as true crime stories and also columns in the Toronto Tribune about things like stamps and finances. And as David said, he's like, which was very surprising because my father was not that great with finances, apparently. <laughs> uh, his father was always writing. And Cronenberg said, I used to fall asleep to the sound of his IBM Selectric. And before that, I would fall asleep to the sound of his Underwood typewriter. So he was just apparently typing all the time. David was also a very avid reader because his parents had so many books everywhere. He had a wall of books, many of which he still keeps from the, his father owned today. And he talked about how while his family had all that, most of the families in this area mostly had one or two books in their house, usually one of them being the Bible. Hmm. And uh, Milton was also the person who introduced David to films. And while Milton was trying to get his son to understand the nuances of Bergman's The Seventh Seal at such a young age, David was more interested in Westerns and swashbuckling films, specifically the films of Burt Lancaster. When looking back on the films he watched as a youth and then as a as a teen, Cronenberg said the first most important film that he saw that would influence him in some way as a filmmaker was Disney's Bambi, because he said the scene of Bambi's mother getting shot was particularly powerful to him. It had such a lasting impact on him that later in life, when he was tasked with creating a museum exhibit in New York, I believe, uh, about his influences, Cronenberg tried to show Bambi as one of the major influences of his work but Disney would not allow them to do so. As a child, Cronenberg also began writing a lot, specifically within the sci-fi genre. He said he loved reading comic books as a kid, specifically the comics of Tarzan, Disney's Uncle Scrooge, Superman, and specifically the origin original Captain Marvel, which would later become Shazam. Uh, he also loved reading sci-fi magazines like the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, Galaxy, and Astonishing, which was the, which was the actual magazine that published uh who goes there the original developer the thing that we talked about earlier mm. this month by john campbell yeah. so he was reading that uh he also avidly read ec comics which published mostly horror stories like the original series of tales from the crypt cronenberg said it was really nasty and bizarre things that i shouldn't have been reading at that that age <laughs> but i did while in high school david became interested in things like organic science biology and botany during his first first year at the University of Toronto, he was studying organic chemistry in hopes of being a cell biologist while also being a possible sci-fi author on the side. But David realized that he wasn't too fond of the way science being taught in college. He didn't like how, I guess, professors were teaching science and everything. And he said he didn't really bond with any of the students in his major because of that. Instead, he found himself mostly hanging out with the English and philosophy students. So after his first year, he switched his major to English and literature. In the late 1960s when he was when he became interested in filmmaking as a career because his classmate David Sector made a film called Winter Keeps Us Warm. And the film would later become the first English-spoken Canadian film that premiered at Cannes Film Festival, I believe, in 1966. Wow. And it was this is when Cronenberg realized that, oh, you don't have to make movies in L.A. You can make films elsewhere. And because of their kind of close being in Toronto, they're not too far from New York City. And he would kind of, I think, travel in New York a lot and see movies there occasionally. Cronenberg became obsessed with the underground film scene that was occurring in New York. Him and his friend and future filmmaker, Ivan Reitman, decided mm -hmm. to create the Toronto Co-op with their friend uh, Ian Ewing based on what was happening out of New York. Cronenberg said they would have 24-hour film festivals 
that's another one of those friendships like when you find out that george romero and um mr rogers were yeah, friends, we're friends. <laughs> yeah I, so yeah when we'll go on this more but like when i was when i was watching shivers and rabbit i was like oh Ivan Reitman produced these movies. I did, I did see his name pop up on something, something weird, like not even on producing on like, like second music, unit music, AD music, or something. Music supervisor. He was the music yeah, supervisor yeah, yeah. on I Shivers. Like, I was, yeah, he was a music supervisor on Shivers, producer on Shivers, and we'll get more into that a little bit later. And also the EP on Rabid. Um, it was also during this time that Cronenberg took a break from school and traveled to Europe for a year, briefly living in France during this time. He would later return to Canada and graduate from the University of Toronto at the top of his class. While Cronenberg really thought he would be a writer in the vein of William S. Burroughs, an author he would later work with when adapting his work Naked Lunch, he soon realized that filmmaking is where he really needed to be. He stated, One of the things about filmmaking was that I felt I had no influences. Not being arrogant, I felt I could invent myself as a filmmaker from scratch. I had seen Bergman, but I wasn't feeling I was making a Bergman movie. I love Fellini, but I'm but not being Italian Catholic, I couldn't make a, a Fellini film. <laughs> Nobody in Canada was making genre pictures, so making a Canadian horror film that was a pretty new thing. And so, in 1969, Cronenberg created his first art film, not his first kind of mainstream film, but his first art film called Stereo, about a group of young volunteers who participate in a parapsychological uh, experiment running it just over an hour the feature would contain several of Cronenberg's later themes like the exploration of new states of consciousness through sexual exper- experimentation which would later appear in films like Shivers and Videodrome Dead Ringers and Crash it would also include telepathy a major component of Scanners which came out in 1981 then in 1970 he created Crimes of the Future a film about a director of a dermatology clinic called House of Skin that is searching for his insane mentor after a catastrophic plague is what happens. Also kind of art film. It was like shot as a silent film. They add like narration over it is what it was. But as I said, Cronenberg considers these both as art films and not a true commercial film. It wasn't until the 1970s when he wanted to really make that move into commercial films. So he partnered with his good old friend Ivan Reitman and they received money from the Canadian Film Development Corporation to create their first film together, Shivers. And there was a lot of pushback at the time from the corporation due to the film being a horror film, specifically being a horror film about having a sexual nature in some way. Uh, but they soon relented and made Shivers uh, and released in 1975. So, Thomas, what is Shivers about? Shivers is about a... Um, <laughs> it's about this kind of like all-inclusive apartment complex. Um, the little opening is is really fun but they it's basically built as like a cruise ship on land like it's just apartment complex you can live in and they have everything uh including scientists who do experiments in the in the building apparently you're kind of introduced to it by this new couple who's getting a tour but as you're watching you see this old scientist murder a a young woman and then kill himself yeah and it turns out that he had been experimenting with this type of parasite and it had infected her and it is a parasite very much like the film uh, Slither that we watched earlier this month. In fact, I should say the parasite from Slither is very much like the parasite from Shivers as it was a huge <laughs> inspiration for that movie. But it turns people into mindless zombies, but it also makes them really horny. Um, <laughs> yes. And if you thought zombies were problematic enough already, just wait until they also got r- real sexual. Yeah. 
and that's and that's shivers uh and we just kind of follow different people around the building as this goes down we ultimately kind of land as like the on the building like resident doctor as the protagonist but um yeah this one's wild this is wild uh uh yeah the original title shooting title for this movie was orgy of the blood parasites mm, that that pretty much hits the nail on the head that sums it up right there but like it started off for like it's a doctor who's like the doctor ends up killing himself at the beginning it's like he's he's trying they're trying to find a better way to uh transplant organs basically is what it is like that's the whole kind of conceit of it putting this with his next film rabbit this is my least favorite of the two but it's interesting seeing how influential this movie feels like when looking at say slither mm-hmm. oh yeah like the the bat the bathtub scene being kind of the big thing weirdly you know what i thought of there were shades of when watching this in a, in a weird way hmm ghostbusters again it's this apartment complex about these yeah. like these people are in they're they also have kind of become sex obsessed demons that's true yeah, the, gate cap, the, gatekeeper the, the gatekeeper and the master and there was a shot of like when when uh the wife of of the one of the guys who like is is gets gets the parasite in him and is like kind of like the dude has like the weird like abdomen stuff he's constantly checking out there's a scene where he like falls down and it's like on the kitchen floor and like the refrigerator's open it's just being lit by the refrigerator felt reminiscent of when uh when dana gets gets uh uh consumed by the refrigerator Mm -hmm. or even the bathtub scene in ghostbusters 2 when she's when she's when she's bathing oscar and she's turning it's like shot very in a similar way as the Mm -hmm. bathtub scene in in shivers and so i was like i wasn't expecting to see (laughs) that connection in mm-hmm. this film specifically because ivan reitman is the producer of this and the director of ghostbusters but yeah shivers it's a maybe the most problematic film i've seen like that he that he probably makes i would say yeah it's just there's a lot of issues yeah in the content of it some of i mean some of it is obviously like oh no these zombies are, are rapey but like yeah some of it is presented as like hey that's kind of hot like this yeah. woman with the parasite yeah. in her is kind of hot. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> I don't like that. And there's a very quick shot. So there's one point where a guy who is like a delivery man and he's been given the parasite by this woman. And then he gets mm. on an elevator with like a woman and his, her young daughter. And then we see the elevator open up later. And it's obvious that he has like turned the young daughter into a zombie, which I was like, I don't want to yeah. know how he turned that. But then there's like a very yeah. quick shot later on where he is like, walking that girl on a week a leash like she's a dog did you see that it's like yeah so yeah, fast yeah. really quick shot but i was yeah. just like oh no did not need to see a like 12 year old yeah walking and then there's that one like slow-mo shot where like a kid like like transfers the parasite by like kissing a guy yeah i was like no thank you that's why it's like of all the things that the movie that i like better that i think is age age better is the movie that stars the uh uh porn star the porn star <laughs> um with Marilyn Chambers uh with Rabin. So yeah, so Shivers comes out and it's a I, I think Red Ebert had seen it and he stated that like he expected it to be a dismal exploitation film. Even though he gave it two and a half stars, he was impressed by like it being a movie mm-hmm. and not just like a thing that just gets like tossed in the trash. It was actually had some sort of merit to it, at least in the filmmaking i do think i do think it's like the like his filmmaking style is there the themes he's exploring is they are there um but yeah so when it comes out it's not 
well received at this moment at that point at that point then it's more well received now but at that point then uh my favorite thing because can canadian critics were very upset because it was financed by the government uh <laughs> Someone said the headline of their article, it was uh, uh, Robert Ful uh, Fulford, who's a Canadian journalist. He goes, you should know how bad this film is. After all, you paid for it. Uh, <laughs> he, call he called it crammed with blood, violence, and depraved sex and the most repulsive movie I've ever seen. It made it very difficult for Cronenberg uh, to uh, obtain funding for his subsequent films. And apparently Cronenberg later said that the article resulted in him being kicked out of his apartment in toronto owing to his landlord's inclusion of a morality clause in the lease <laughs> and that article apparently did that weird story <laughs> uh so yeah it's like he lost his apartment because he made a movie about sex obsessed zombies but the thing is it's a financial hit it makes money and of course when you have no matter what critics say if you make money you can probably make another film and so he makes another mm -hmm. film and that is rabid and rabid. I think it's like, it's interesting. You're watching it and we're slowly getting closer to like what he's like, he's becoming fully formed as he keeps going. Mm -hmm. We're like, now it's, you bring in that, that more of that doctor character here where essentially yep. in rabid Rose and her boyfriend heart uh, are driving on the Qu Quebec countryside. When they get into a motorcycle accident, um, her, her boyfriend suffers like a, a broken hand or whatever um but she is like severely injured and burned roses and a doctor um who's been kind of again trying to find new ways to do plastic surgery for kind of these people that have like really bad injuries or burn injuries or something like that decides to finally do this 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 theory that he has or this this kind of way of doing plastic surgery on rose this woman who has been severely burned and as he does, he basically takes graphs uh, of, of kind of her her body and puts it in her places. But the surgery after the surgery, she wakes up later and has this like it's like she's she's basically feeding is kind of the idea is what she's kind of says yeah. at one point. Because because the, the method is like taking some of your skin from one part of your body and like radiating it and then yeah. grafting it and his idea is that it, when you like radiate it that way it'll graft better and you're less likely to have oh, them like yeah. reject it or whatever but ultimately what it does is mutate the skin but like it's 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 very frankenstein-esque where it's like we're gonna kind of like 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 put like make turn this like this flesh or the skin or whatever into like this living breathing thing again and have it continue to grow and again it says as you said it mutates into something else and essentially what ends up happening is that it causes her to shoot out this kind of phallic kind of stabbing thing mm -hmm. that also, uh, pierces also, the skin of her victim also evoked in in slither you know the the thing that like comes out of grant's stomach i think is yeah. definitely straight out of her, her her armpit and rabbit yeah it comes out of her armpit she sucks the blood of her victim and then she she believes that she's then she's only like sucking a little bit of their blood and then like leaving them alive what what she comes yeah. to find out is that it gives them rabies after she does that. and it results in uh it's the great shots of her just like walking around the city but yeah it results in in a pretty much a, on like this massive pandemic in in their area and in kind of canada and what i thought was so i texted you about it was so relevant i was like 
oh, this is COVID. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's moments where you're like, it feels like because th- there's a whole sequence at one point where it's like there's been a vaccine and everyone needs to get the vaccine to make sure they aren't um, uh, infected with rabies. And so you have like you have to go around showing your vaccine cards in order to get into places and get into and like to travel and things like that. And it's like you have to have uh documentation that you've gotten this and you have like a bunch of scenes of people like oh like have you got your shot yet like oh i'm going i'm going by the place today to get my shot finally like it's like i was like these are conversations that i've had with people like during covid is what it was Mm -hmm. so yeah so what did you what did you think of rabid when watching it i definitely liked rabid more than shivers the the effects were well done it was a little bit more I, i i felt like there was like characters i could you know kind of yeah i think they do a good job with her like i think i think she's she's good i think in it she's really great yeah there's this idea like they do a good job with establishing like she's she's really hungry and she needs to feed and she understands that what she's doing is monstrous but like i said she there's a moment when like her her boyfriend like confronts her and it's like oh my god you're patient zero and she's like no no like everyone's fine after like i just take a little bit of their blood and then i don't actually hurt them and he's like no like this whole they, they you're turn. turning everyone yeah, yeah uh, overall it's still still kind of rough around the edges but um, it is it is overall i think it was really well done and, and yeah i liked that it was just like kind of straight up rabies you know it's not like necessarily that they were like zombies especially i'm very glad they weren't horny zombies but um, <laughs> yeah it felt yeah like you said especially with now that we've been through COVID, it felt other than than seeing this thing slither out of her armpit it felt very kind of realistic like this could go down yeah it did yeah there, there's a little bit more than in the in you know shivers i don't want to get too deep into like sexual politics of the 70s but shivers kind of had this weird like like i said like oh this is kind of sexy and when it was not and this one does have this kind of like that 70s like exploitation feminism where it's like oh she's using her sexiness to like feed off of these creepy men and i mean it's like not not exactly a huge step for feminism but it's it's interesting it's like a you know an interesting take on it it's a lot better than watching a you know guy put a zombie girl on a dog leash yeah well that was thing too when watching it this when watching i never watched before but watching it uh was besides like kind of the first time she does it it felt like all the men she kind of like uh, infected. It was like dudes who were like, just like trying to like hit on her. So I think of the guy mm-hmm. in the movie theater where she just yeah, goes that, and sits in and watches the- that farmer that catches her. Yeah. yeah. Like all creepy it's, dudes. It's all creepy. dudes. It's very like promising young woman esque, where it's like, she's minding mm-hmm. her own business. Grant, she's not setting them up fully, but like the movie theater, like she goes in the movie theater just sits down and the guy just like comes over like oh i'm sorry did i hit you when he like throws his coat like oh mm-hmm. oh you're not talking to me okay i mean i'd be better if i could sit down next to you and she's just like okay you want to sit down next to me oh god yeah and that's then- she's like she's like oh <laughs> people just bother me whenever i come to like because she's at a, a porn theater she's yeah, like yeah. people just bother me whenever i come to movies like this and he's like well if i sat next to you then no one would bother you and then just like immediately starts molesting early like, yeah yeah and i was just like oh man and then and then she infects him so there you go yeah so marilyn chambers again like she she was a a uh a pornographic actress in the in the 70s and she didn't have a lot of like mainstream movies I like. I mean, the the kind of the big everyone kind of talks about that. I know, like they mentioned, like behind the green door is like this big 
uh, classic film of the golden age of porn uh, in the 70s that she's kind of the star in. But this was like her main, may only like, uh, at least her only leading role in like a traditional like narrative film. And she's really great. And who was supposed to be up for it apparently that uh, Cronenberg said he wanted to cast was uh, Sissy Spacek. He won in the lead mm-hmm. role. But the studio said no because of her accent that she had. But when you watch the movie, if you notice, you'll see a poster of Carrie in the film because Carrie was released as the film was in production. Oh, wow. And it had become this huge, like, massive hit. And so if Spacek was in it, it might have been an even bigger hit. But I think Marilyn Chambers is really great in this movie. And so this also kind of has mixed reviews when it comes out uh it's better uh variety calls it an extremely violent sometimes nauseating picture but a reviewer for time out would say it's a far better staged film compared to cronenberg's uh previous work shivers and none of the other recent apocalypse movies have shown so much political or cinematic sophistication so it's like you're seeing him get better Mm -hmm. yeah and it does very well 1979 is an interesting year for him so he has two movies. He does Fast Company, which is a race car movie, which is more like probably the most kind of different film. Like it's the kind of the, the weird kind of film that he makes in his filmography, which just doesn't feel like Cronenberg. But apparently Cronenberg is an avid race car fan. And that's why he made this race car movie in 79. But the big one in 79 that comes out is The Brood. So Thomas, what is The Brood about? Brood is about a man whose wife is currently at this like very like new age psychotherapy retreat and he's not he doesn't buy into it he's not happy with the treatment that she's getting but she part of the agreement of her going to this treatment is that she he has to bring their daughter out to see her um every weekend but he's he's just gotten the daughter back from one of her visits and it looks like she's been like beat up so he's starting to like look into what's happening to my daughter at this retreat and he and the head of the 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 doctor who's kind of pioneered this new method of psychotherapy are kind of butting heads and in the midst of all this his uh in-laws are brutally murdered mysteriously um and yeah and so it's kind of this like who done it like murder investigation yeah. kind of thing with a with a kind of supernatural twist but um yeah i'd never seen this one before and this was fantastic this was like i I'm glad you one. liked it i well that's because i really liked it because i want to talk about that because we watched this for our movie night and i was like the only one who really liked it like everyone else is like this is boring and i don't know if this is because we've watched all this cronenberg stuff and that's why we're like more in tune with what's going but i was like i get what he's doing like this was I, this was actually uh this was the first one that I watched out of our like deep dive this month and and so this was really I mean I had seen like so I yeah, said I'd seen some of his stuff before yeah. but this was really for like this month this was the first one I got into and I was like this is awesome let's go let's uh, go and then I had to go back to shivers <laughs> after that but <laughs> yeah and the br- the brute Oliver Reed's great in it he plays the the kind yeah. of psychiatrist that's doing the therapy because you kind of think he's this villain. But then, like, you slowly begin to realize, like, he understands what's going on. He's trying to control some things. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's this is a film when I watch. It's, like, it, it remind, it's a very specific era of, like, filmmaking of, like, how everything kind of looks and feels. 
like the coloring of everything is interesting. I, I was like mentioning, I was like, I was like, why don't we use yellow more? Like you just see yellow, like in the in movie, in this movie, and like the door is yellow, or like there's so much mm-hmm. yellow in kind of the aesthetic in a way. You know, that's not the overlying color, it's just kind of part of the world. And again, this is one again that has this kind of cold and distant feeling to it, but that's kind of the point of but that's his perspective that Cronenberg's taking it's interesting i read in an interview he talks about how like he gets complaints about his films being cold and distant he's like yeah that's what they're supposed to be he's like i don't want (laughs) to live in this world that i'm creating someone asked him like would you live in any of the worlds that you created and he goes i'm really happy not to be in any of my movies i would not want to live in any of those movies in fact for me part of the reason you make a movie is to experience something that intrigues you perhaps disturbs you you need to deal with it experience it somehow but you need to you need to be at a distance from it you need to be safely encapsulated by the way of way a grain of sand is encapsulated in a pearl by an oyster it's an irritation you hope you've created these movies they're like pearls but you wouldn't want to be inside them because inside them is the grain of sand or worse Mm. and he wrote this movie because it was basically him venting about his divorce is what it is that he was going through. Yeah, you can time. feel it. This is a personal yeah. one. Like you we've talked about how kind of cold those other movies are, but this one's this one's got like feels it feels a little personal. Yeah. It feels like it's and I think I think he said he was very satisfied with how the movie turns out, uh in terms of story for him. Like it was very I don't know, rewarding is the word. Um, but yeah, it was very like a a a, a uh, experience that helped him out but yeah it's the movie that kind of really breaks him out in a new way this and the next film kind of really kind of break the body horror genre into the mainstream and it was weird watching this one the one film i kind of thought about at least in its visual style that it kind of captures in spots is don't look now is, I, is Nicholas I was literally just about to say that <laughs> well like i mean like like like, like marital issues and like yeah. Yeah, parenthood the, the, issues and then yeah. like also you know kind of what what ultimately we find to yeah, be the yeah, culprit yeah. of things like all of that's tied in there but yeah when i watched it i was like this is kind of don't look now like it's a weird kind of like if don't look now it's like high art horror then this is like kind of the the kind of lower brow version of that version of it yeah and it was and he and and cronenberg said like as a filmmaker like rogues don't look now has had like a massive impact on him and so i watched it's like oh i can see I can see this is your version of that. And it's funny because this the same year this comes out, Kramer versus Kramer comes out. And apparently Cronenberg mm. was not a fan of Kramer versus Kramer. He's like, this paints a too too much of an optimistic portrayal of breaking up an entire family. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I think mine's more in line of how it actually happens. That and this is also the big thing I want to bring up too. It's the beginning of his collaboration with Howard Shore, his composer and Howard Shore later becomes famous for doing like Lord of the Rings and a lot of big time movies nowadays, but he's done all of Cronenberg's films except the dead zone since they started working together with the brood and Cronenberg kind of sees the brood as his, his, his most classic horror film in terms of how he, in terms of the story and the, and what he does with it. Um, hmm. But yeah, so it's it's a very influ- impactful film with mainstream and all that. It's also one that gets banned in places, and a lot of movie, a lot of his movies that got banned in the UK and places over the years. Um, so this comes out, and then a year or two years later, he does his next film that really kind of puts him more on the mainstream, and that is Scanners. And Scanners is about these people with 
unusual kind of uh, telepathic, telekinetic powers. Um, and you can essentially scan people's brains for your own purposes is what the kind of the ability they have. I, I compare this to Brian De Palma's The Fury because it has these very like comic booky elements to it, mm-hmm. but not really a superhero film. And essentially what ends up having is that you can, if you focus enough, you can explode someone's, blow up someone's head basically. And that's kind of the big thing that brings people in is it's like blowing up people's head and this kind of new style of body horror. So, so scanners, I believe was a little difficult for you. Was it not? Yeah, I, I did not like scanners. Sorry to <laughs> our Cronenberg heads out there because I knew this was like cited as like one of the classics. So yeah. Went into it with maybe high expectations. And it makes sense because you're probably that you just watched the brood and you love the brood. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I think you text me. You're like, it would have been different if he hadn't made the brood first, but he made yeah, the brood this first. Had been like, cause, cause this movie is kind of rough and it is, it is. And so if you had, if you had told me he made like shivers and then this, I'd be like, okay, cool. Like it's just part <laughs> of his evolution. But like the brood is miles better than this movie from all aspects from, I mean, for, you know, because because we and we've seen this with directors, especially you go back early. They they haven't, you know, a big thing for directors learning what your style is for directing actors. Yeah. Brood. Fantastic cast. Scanners. God awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> the lead in scanners. They should That's have my like, issue. They should have gotten a weekend and said, like, we have to scrap this and do this with somebody else. Like <laughs> just yeah. miserable. Yeah. No, that was my biggest thing. Stephen Lack. I'm sorry if you listen to the show. Um, you might be a wonderful human being, but yeah, he's not good in this movie. Like it's really, and I, I like this more than you do. You do. But when he has scenes with other actors and he's speaking, I was like, though, this is not good. And I know the mm. idea is that his character is like a little off is the thing. He's like socially awkward and he's basically Cameron is his character. And he's kind of this guy who is, is who, uh, uh, Doctor Paul Ruth, played by Patrick uh, McGowan, uh or McEwen, finds out that like find finds Paul or finds Cameron, and like is like we're, you're a scanner, like I'm gonna bring you in and like train you to be like a scanner because he's like a home, he's kind of like a down his luck type character, and so he's being thrown into this world of, sc- of scanning and kind of these kind of these powers um, that he always had, but yeah, he just really doesn't work in the role no when you have something like him and you have like michael ironside who i like michael ironside and when you have scenes them together it's just like michael ironside's acting circles around him change that lead character in this movie improves tremendously yeah well and i think it's also like you know everybody kind of knows the the head exploding scene in this movie but that's like that's the first 10 minutes of this movie yeah and <laughs> there's not a whole lot of like body that's horror fair. beyond that and yeah and i the, think they have this ultimate stare down in the end exactly you know part of body horror is like like you know there's there's like the side of horror that's like things that are unseen are the scariest body horror is like screw that we're gonna show you you know what's scary and but this movie is like so much of people just like staring at each other and and, <laughs> and it's like it's like there's a battle going on in their head but you can't see yeah. it like it, it yeah. feels feels very indie you know like somebody yeah, yeah, would write this yeah. and be like oh, i can't have a big superhero battle scene so i'm gonna have it happen 
with them like staring each other down but i was like yeah that after that after that first head explosion i was like all right where's this movie going and i was like oh it's going downhill from yeah. here on out that's a fair point that's a fair point because like when we're talking to kind of tie us into the body horror that we've been talking about like it's like it's people put this in body horror because of the explosion but it doesn't have those themes of what cronenberg does with body yeah. horror it's like i mean like, it, it, got- it does involve that idea of like what if science was able to specifically in this one most science was able to give like somebody else control over your body and you and that's that's part of body horror the idea of somebody being able to manipulate your body with their mind but you don't really see it in this one you just see like i kept thinking all these henchmen are like coming after him and i'm like oh man he's gonna like melt them like raiders of the lost ark style and like no he just like throws one against a wall and Oh, oh, and here's here's the thing that you probably it'll probably make sense for you. So apparently, the movie Cronenberg uh, said was is one of his most difficult films to make because at this point, films are being uh, funded by investors in Canada. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so what happened is the money came. Apparently, the money came in before the script was finished mm. or the sets were made. So they had to rush through production, rush to production. And according to Cronenberg, he would spend mornings prior to filming writing scenes. For that day yeah this this kind of feels like it feels like that and it's yeah it's just like like story-wise like there's this like oh he's like oh i just met this girl like this morning but now i'm gonna like risk my life for her like it's just like yeah it, that uh, happens it, quick it really happens quick yeah i agree um none, of, none and, of it really clicked for me yeah that's fair and uh i i like the concept of it i think it's one that like if you really took and tried to like mold in some way it could be kind of a fun like superhero type story but it just it would need work yeah i, I, I honestly if like i said I'm, I'm i'm fully bought into the body horror this month if i had just seen a couple more heads explode maybe my I, maybe, I'd be maybe my opinion would be different but it felt after like getting a couple deep into cronenberg that one felt like such a and one you know because that that shot of the head exploding is so pervasive in in pop culture i just thought i was in for like heads exploding galore in this movie no you're not but with scanners it does open him up for kind of a a big because this comes out in 1981 for a pretty big run in the 1980s before we dive into that so i interviewed my roommate david glenn the fourth david i've known for about a year now david big cronenberg guy big cronenberg big body horror guy and i was like i want to find a way to bring him on the show and he was kind of a guy who helped kind of give me context to david cronenberg in a way mm-hmm. and also like he was a guy that would like come in and like I, like in the in our kitchen i'd while i was like i just finished uh just finished shivers that was a trip and i would kind of give give him my opinions of what i'm feeling about cronenberg as i'm watching through so i talked with david for him to kind of give us context of cronenberg the genre as a whole specifically within the 80s and how cronenberg compares to what is happening around that time so i hope you guys enjoy been watching so many so much cronenberg yeah so you had to do a palette i had to do elvis (laughs) i I mean i don't blame you dude i I can't imagine binging his movies because i mean i mean when i guess oh we'll talk about this probably when i watch it when we talk about it so i'll wait Mm -hmm. but yeah we're still we're talking right now. okay cool (laughs) this is on the record oh well i do want to put on the record that i am wearing my video drum shirt yeah you are yeah (laughs) for the listeners at home yeah but uh yeah no i uh when i first got into cronenberg i i I guess I binged like probably three or four of his mm-hmm. films, but it's kind of been a, a, a few years long process yeah. of going through. <laughs> yeah. And even this year, I mean, I had some blind spots like crash, you yeah. know, and uh, 
which was uh, kind of an elusive film for a long time. Yeah. So and yeah, this it was like I did Shiver, I did Rabid Shivers, and then uh, Scanners, and I was like, I need something that's not this right now. <laughs> and I was like, What's on my DVR? And it's like twenty Elvis movies. Cool. Let me let me watch one. And I was like. I don't know if I liked it the movie more because I'd watched so much Cronenberg yeah. where it was like such cold and distant and, and kind of and horrific that it made me be like, this movie's really good. This Elvis it's it's Elvis movie, so it's it is what it is. But right. like there were some I was like, oh, this is like just it's pleasant. And I needed pleasant right now after going through scanners about people <laughs> blowing up their heads and like superpowers basically. Yeah, you needed some, you know, Elvis. Um, and- but yeah, you mentioned that you binged when you started getting into yeah. Cronenberg. So, so like, what attract? Well, first off, what attracted you to the body horror genre as a whole? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I, I had seen some of Cronenberg's, like The Fly and, mm-hmm. and Dead Zone in, in adolescence, but I didn't really get into Cronenberg until I was uh, in, in undergrad, mm-hmm. and it was kind of it was sophomore year, so that was like a very important year for me as a, as a film fanatic because mm-hmm. I was sort of getting into art house movies and uh, also kind of rekindling my love for horror as a whole. Yeah. And Cronenberg kind of falls into both those camps. Yeah. Um, but what attracts me to the body horror genre, huh? Um, I mean, I think it's just such a horrific conceit. Yeah. Uh, you know, not being able to control this transition that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned, you know, Cronenberg kind of makes the audience take a step back and, and view it from the outside. Yeah. But, you know it's still applicable to many like real life diseases or, yeah. or, 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 you know, even mental, mental things. So it's very, yeah. uh, horrific conceit, I think. Yeah. He was, he's kind of, t- I heard him talk about like how like he is, I mean, he sees the human body as chaos in a way, right. in a way where it's like just a certain, it's like, he's, he sees it as like chemicals, nice things kind of like going together to create this one thing. And if something goes wrong, it can create this whole other kind of entity or something else in a way. Right. It's, it's, and, it's and yeah. a lot of times it, it might even be that the protagonist doesn't realize what's happening you yeah. know, until it's too late. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with the fly, it's like, it's, he's a character that's like becomes, be, becomes obsessed with something then kind of become like, it starts to consume him and then he's like taken over by it. And, and that kind of runs throughout a lot of Cronenberg stuff. Absolutely. It feels like. And the, and the fly is interesting too, because it's almost like he has positive side effects at first, mm-hmm. you know, um, increasing right. his, sex drive and all that yeah but then he sort of becomes uh obsessive to it to a fault uh, yeah he he and that's and that's kind of the body heart genre in a way like as a whole it's like there's yeah. always and we video drum too video drum uh, as well Wood's character kind of becomes obsessive of this uh this strange uh yeah. tv signal yeah. at first it's like a money money thing you know it's, he money knows thing. it's, gonna yeah, get yeah. Viewers, it's but, a very simple thing but then he becomes kind of ingrained in it yeah. until he literally becomes the the vhs you know vcr the, the, yeah the vcr and it's like Thomas and I are not as well versed in him. And I don't know if you're either, but with with Lovecraft, I had read that yeah. like a lot of body horror stuff with this is like it's the Lovecraftian protagonist of like they see something, they see the issues behind it or whatever, then they become obsessed with it and with it and they become like fully consumed by absolutely and um, i think a lot of mad scientist tropes come from Lovecraft yeah. for sure. Yeah. And um I mean I, and also what's interesting about Lovecraft is he's kind of uh the the idea of these old creatures, there's, there's just nothing we can do, yeah. you know. And I think that would be applicable to body horror too, because you can't, you can't control it, you can't mm-hmm. fight it. So yeah. And what do you think separates him from 
directors of that of his era of the the 70s and 80s in yeah horror like what do you think separates him from them? sure I, I mean i think it is that subtextual thing i mean he's dealing a lot with uh unconscious fears and desires mm-hmm. and exploring the human psyche through these kind of surreal yeah. mechanics um and that's not to say that you know uh cheesy or schlocky horror movies of, of the era didn't do that mm-hmm. but he, he just kind of separated himself by yeah by always having something at the heart of his movies i think yeah um, and so what's like so again, you're way more versed in horror sure. than I am, and like, so what's the landscape like in the '80s um, as a whole? Like, and I that mean, could I think be Carpenter that can be any like. Yeah, what? I mean, I think obviously slashers kind of took over. Yeah, uh, I mean, there was a slasher. I mean, you can you know we'll go back and watch the trailer. There's a slasher like every weekend almost. Mm-hmm. It seems like yeah, uh, and a lot of those were just copies of copies of copies. Mm-hmm. So I think. But, but there were body horror movies too uh, in the wake of Cronenberg, you know, like the Blob remake or the Thing remake or things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the the big boom was definitely slashers in the eighties. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, something that I think we were discussing before was the the rise of practical effects in the eighties. So I think that lended itself both to you know slasher kills, but also to the body horror mm-hmm. because you were able to kind of create these imagery, this imagery that was not possible, you know, before. Yeah, it's like I mean, when watching The Fly, and then to look at carpenters the thing it's like the practical effects are just insane out of this world yeah man. out of this world yeah the ending of the fly i mean uh well each step in his kind of transition i won't spoil anything but each yeah. step in his transition is is nastier and nastier until you get to that ending and you're just yeah. like i've never seen anything <laughs> like this you know it's 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 again the the when this genre is done right and when the practical effects are done right the, the correct like the descript- description would be uh uh, grotesque absolutely and yeah. that's what the fly ends up yeah. becoming absolutely I mean, or, or, you know any any of those that era i think uh, of cronenberg of this always yeah. in the climax there's something that you you have never seen before you probably never want to yeah. see again even even it's that's like we you we, we've talked about dead ringers uh a little yeah. bit you and i and it's like dead ringers is like it's body horror to an extent right um it almost takes this idea of like how what body horror can do like uh psychologically absolutely in yeah. a way yeah um and because in some cases one of the big kind of like weird like weird body horror moments is a dream is what it is when they're like they're conjoined twins mm-hmm. again or something and uh but i think at the ending of that not to spoil that for people it's like that's a grotesque ending as well yeah, yeah but it's it's in the realm of like reality yeah yeah i think that's definitely one of his more grounded uh mm-hmm. films and uh, in restraint too yeah. yeah to a certain extent so yeah uh, re- he was I, exploring you know different different things with that one yeah thomas i know from just the brief message i've had with him as we've kind of talked throughout the week or so um there's certain movies that didn't hit for him as well as they hit for other people right and i guess what do you think what is so was difficult for some people to appreciate about his films, or why is it difficult for them to kind of like latch on to like what he's yeah. doing? Well, I mean, I think I don't think he's a niche filmmaker, but he's mm-hmm. definitely you know you definitely want to be attuned to what he's exploring. Yeah. Um. So I mean, you know, he's exploring sexuality and and very grisly violence yeah. and you know body horror. So it's not you know not for the faint of heart and not for you know probably most general audiences. Um, yeah. You know, not to be pretentious about it, but it's you know. It's just the case, but um, yeah, I mean, I I think, but I think there's a lot. To, he's not doing it for the sake of of just to be taboo or mm-hmm. to uh, you know push the boundary solely for that. He's mm-hmm. he, he's exploring these things because he's fascinated by them. Mm-hmm. I think I believe, or he mm-hmm. was fascinated by them at yeah. the time. So I mean, and I think you see those through lines through all of his work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he definitely makes the audience kind of 
face the void, face the the unconscious and the the, the uncanny. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I that can be abrasive to some. Yeah. yeah. And, and kind of push viewers away. So I, I totally understand why people <laughs> wouldn't appreciate his work. You know, I, this is in the film. I'm going to say, hey, grandma, you should watch, uh, you know, the Brood or something. The but, yeah. <laughs> Although she apparently took my mom to see that when my mom was a kid. It scarred her. So. Again, that that kind of comes with the brood. It's like, again, it's and this is what I'm saying too in this in the body horror genre a lot. Sometimes we talked about this with Akira uh, last week, where it's like that third act is where the body horror, like yeah. where it truly reveals itself. And I think Cronenberg is kind of a, a kind of a master at that, where he does that, where it's like the fly. Yes, it's kind of. It progresses, but the real big thing is that the yeah. end. And even or, with the fly, the first like I'd say probably first act and first half of the second act is yeah. like building that romance mostly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Like it's I was just watching it. It's like they it's it's takes it's like half the movie before she's like I think something might be wrong right. with you. <laughs> uh-huh. But I think the ending wouldn't be as effective if that romance exactly. hadn't been built that way. So exactly. I, and again, that's probably another reason that he's kind of stands above is because he he does focus on characters and, yeah. and kind of building that stuff. So yeah. And then, like you said, like the brood, he does the same thing where it's the it's the final kind of third where it fully yeah. kind, of, kind of takes its takes its shape. Yeah, it has a few kills, you know, leading up to that, but it's definitely not. Yeah, in that still, in that level, what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I mean, Oliver Reed in that movie is just out of this world. Man. He's great. It's uh, it's like it's it's his his Oliver Reed. It's interesting with Cronenberg. He he he's picks interesting actors in his movies. He does. He does. Um, and, and there's a few like bit players that kind of show up again. Yeah. Like there's the guy in, in the brood that has the, um, mm-hmm. the cancer, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing on his neck and yeah. he shows up in quite a few. Uh, yeah. Cronenberg. It was like, we, when we're watching the brood, we're like, where have I seen that guy yeah. from? And someone's like in other Cronenberg films. <laughs> it must be like a Canadian he, or something. Yeah. yeah. It's like, that's all he's in. But to go with the kind of the other, cause Cronenberg stuff is not all body horror. Yeah. 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 So like, what is, um, like the thing you sent me about Crash, like Crash is the one that I think is his most divisive. Was that? Would you think that's his most divisive? I mean, film? he definitely got like destroyed in the press for it yeah, yeah. Um, at the time. Yeah, and and like I said, I mean, it was an elusive film. I mean, mm-hmm. like it had an out of print DVD for a long time, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I first moved out here, the the new Bev was playing it. Mm-hmm. I think I told you this, but they were playing it at like two o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. <laughs> and somebody commented on the the Facebook event page and said, "Anybody that goes to see this should be put on a watch list," you know. So I think it still has kind of that power. But I mean, that was another reason that I, I was seeking it out because yeah. you kind of just read about this controversy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and even Ebert and Siskel got it got into it over yeah. it. And uh, I mean, they all they had a few famous bouts, but yeah, yeah. It, they got pretty into it for that one. But Ebert talked about it. he's he's like he's talking about how like the movie's cold because it's supposed to be cold. Right, right. And that's kind of the thing that happens with Cronenberg is that people, you either buy into it or you don't, yeah. where it's like, he, he successfully makes the movie cold and distant. I have to say, it's like you're observing everything. So it's at a distance and it's cold. And like, some people think that as a bad thing. Yeah. But the idea is that like, that's his plan the right. entire time. And I'd argue, Q, you know, Kubrick did the same thing. Exactly. And, thing, but, yes. and also, I, I kind of appreciate that in the case of Crash because those are characters I, I don't want to relate to. You don't relate to it <laughs> You know, I don't want the, the, the moral center at, the, at yeah. the core of that film, you know. It's like Codius being this, like, guy who's just, who's amazing in it, of just, like, this dark and twisted dude who's obsessed with, like, yeah. staging, restaging car accidents of famous people. Yeah. Like, and, and he gets off on it. You know? Yeah, he gets off on it. It's insane that like that. That's and and like Cisco just be like, how does this exist? Well, you read that premise, you know, of Crash, and you're just like, you, you can't even try to imagine what the movie is. Yeah, 
it's it's just it's just so bonkers. I mean, yeah. I know it's based on a novel, a famous yeah, yeah. novel, but yeah. He, so that's another thing too. Uh, just in talking talking with you, and then also like reading up on stuff, he does some interesting adaptations of yeah. novels. And if you look at Naked Lunch, I think he even took things from Burroughs' real life as yeah. well and, and implemented those into the script. Yeah. So it wasn't solely just the book. Yeah. Um, and then Crash, I mean, I think he he modernized it and, and took mm-hmm. it in a little bit and he set it in Toronto, right? So Tor- little, yeah, yeah. yeah, in Toronto because all of his stuff is, is yeah. In, I think it's I think it's his whole his only he shot stuff elsewhere, right? But his only like U.S. film I think is Map to the Stars. Yeah, I mean, because it's that's his like satire yeah, of that's Hollywood. That's satire of yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but everything's very Canadian. His movies are like he's he really is one of those rare filmmakers who's able to like I'm going to stay in this one place yeah, yeah. and go and not go anywhere else. And I guess that's another reason I appreciate him because even in his more studio stuff or stuff that would be considered more mainstream, mm-hmm. as mainstream as Cronenberg gets, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, you, you still see his voice. Like you can just put on one of his movies and, and you're like, oh, this is this is a Cronenberg film. Yeah, you yeah. know, even in the ones that aren't necessarily pure body horror. Yeah. And so going off that, what do you think is, what movie of his do you think perfectly captures his sensibilities and style? I would say Videodrome is probably the, the peak of the, the body horror stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would argue Crash is a body horror movie, but not in the same way that... Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because... Go ahead. The, well, yeah, I, mean, I want to hear that. <laughs> no, I mean, I would argue that Crash is yeah. a body horror movie because, you know, th- these people are, um, you know, damaging their, their bodies through yeah. these car crashes and, and it's, you know... Leading into their their sexuality, their yeah. their fetish, and, so, yeah, and it's affecting. Yeah. it's their their like the psychology of it all, right, right. State. So I, I would argue That's it's fair. a body horror movie, but not in the way that you know his kind of eighty stuff is, and yeah, it's yeah. not as I mean it is disturbing and unnerving, yeah, but it's not as grotesque as as his eighty yes. stuff. Yeah, I think that's the thing too. It's like some people think like you have to be fully like all out gore and right. blood to be a body horror. And that is, it, that does help. And that is very, very much a part of it. But it's like, like you said, it's like crash is interesting that that kind of is a body horror film yeah. without the gore essentially. Yeah. And it's a more realistic yeah. approach to it. Yeah. Um, so you think crash and video drum are the two? Well, I think video drum is like his most, probably his purest. I think the mm-hmm. brood is his, most well executed personally okay interesting. Uh, because to me it's it's a uh it, it's more of a traditional like horror movie mm-hmm. um but it, because in just the way it builds and all that i mean it's mm-hmm. a slow burn but yeah uh, it's more traditional i'd say but i think it's just really well executed so i yeah. think he's firing all cylinders there mm-hmm. but videodrome is probably his if you want to see like a pure cronenberg movie I, i'd say yeah. videodrome yeah okay do you see any flaws in Cronenberg's work? Like, well, for me, okay. Well, first off, because I mean, you know I've I've told you about sure. what Thomas's thoughts. No, on no, stuff, no, so yeah, yeah, like, no, no. I mean, and again, you know, he's filmed, and I don't mean this pretentiously. His films aren't for everyone. Yeah, um, yeah. not to say like, I'm better for liking his movies or whatever. Yeah. But um, uh, I think his what I wouldn't say what a lot of people would probably call faults. I wouldn't call faults. I'd say they're like his quirks, you know, because mm-hmm. they're just a part of his voice and part of his mm-hmm. his. Uh, style as a director yeah so you know any director that you like i mean you have to kind of accept their quirks or you like their quirks yeah and there's certainly many filmmakers that i i don't like their quirks and therefore i don't like their films so i i think that that is uh therefore i hate i yeah, hate their stuff yeah yeah, yeah yeah so i think that, that that's just a you know yeah. that's just part of it yeah you know so and, and to me that you know it's something that's made by committee you feel it you know yeah so i think you know faults or or warts in a film i mean that kind of it it adds to it, not charm, but you know, it, it makes it feel more more unique. Yeah, and he feels like a guy where it's like he um 
he it never feels by committee right in any of his movies yeah it's well i mean very, i think he'd fight for, fight for it i know? feel like he wouldn't make the movie yeah, I, yeah, like, yeah that's the thing is i read i was reading that he was up for um he was up for return of the jedi and was passed on it and then i read that <laughs> that would have been strange yeah I, then i read he was involved in um total recall yeah, yeah, no, but I think reason. he actually got pretty far in prep yeah, or, or they, development they, for that. Yeah. And they and they ended because of creative differences, as they say. But can you imagine? I mean, it already has some strange like some body strange, yeah. body horror stuff, but or body horror elements. But yeah. I think he would have pushed it even pushed, in a yeah, further to a whole other, other realm. And, and also to kind of go off Thomas's question, I think horror audiences in general are just more forgiving. I mean, they can be vitriolic and vile in the case of like remakes of classics that yeah, they don't yeah. think should be remade. Yeah, but I think you know in general horror. Uh, fans are 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 just forgiving of of kind of uh, yeah because a lot of horror movies are are made for no money yeah uh, sadly I mean it's the, it's just the case of yeah. the, of the industries for you like how do you see the genre now how do you see it? I, I mean I think a lot of horror movies still have body horror elements for example the Candyman from this year mm-hmm. um, that wasn't really the the centerpiece of the movie I'd argue but it it was an important part of one of the characters there's a transition that's fair yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's a good point. and then uh you know Titan which won the mm-hmm. uh, the the Palme d'Or, yeah. um, it takes a very different emotional approach. Mm-hmm. To, I, I won't get into spoilers to to a body horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's still part of the movie, but then it kind of turns into this family drama. Really interesting film. Yeah. Um, and, and, and her then, movie Raw as well. Yeah, it, yeah. That, that that one is definitely uh, body mm-hmm. horror. Um, and of course, I want to talk about Cronenberg uh, Jr. Brandon Cronenberg, yeah. uh, who made Possessor last year, which was my favorite of last year, and he also made Antiviral, which is a, a very uh, strange. Uh, body horror movie and again also kind of like some of Cronenberg's early films very yeah. prescient in the era of, of COVID yeah it's interesting you're talking because again it's like the way the genres changed I guess critically sure because all those movies you kind of mentioned were well received yeah and you mentioned how like Tatan it wins it won the Palme d'Or when Crash, when had Crash kind gets of a, booed at yeah. Cannes at, yeah. at, at can, um, but I mean there's been a lot of great films that have also been booed you yeah know? Tree of Life yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Taxi Driver as well? Taxi Driver, yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah, it's it's, and some people I know listen to the show don't like Tree of Life. But I'm sorry. Um, oh, I love Tree of Life. So. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how like that's become like it's not. I won't say it's a critical darling because like you're not going to see a bunch of no. award nominations for Possessor or whatever. But yeah. it's interesting how like it because the horror genre has become so. I don't know. It's mainstream is the right word, but it's like it's become a, a bigger genre for people and. I guess that you're seeing them make more experimental things in a way on a larger yeah, yeah. scale, and uh, and some in some nature, it's like. Well, well I like, mean, let's talk about you know James Wan's *Malignant*. I mean, he got yeah, a blank exactly. check yeah. after *Aquaman*, and he makes that. You yeah, know? and that's, I mean, uh, you know, I respect it. It's, yeah, it's just crazy that a studio, you know, yeah, funded and that. people were just like, and the thing is, that being released in such a high big scale, it's like right. people are like. Yeah, it's bonkers. So because of that, it's like yeah. it's enjoyable. Is and, the I, thing. and I, I did watch it on HBO Max. I almost do wish that I had seen it with an audience. That's I feel says, like that would have played with. Really, yeah, really I watched it with a friend, and yeah. I, I told him I was like, if I didn't watch it, I would turn it off because like it's. And this is just kind of a harsh horror thing too. It's like for a while in the movie, it's like you're gonna have kind of a slow like hour of the film, sure, and then it kind of all picks up. And that's just kind of a running thing that I've noticed of late 
And if you're doing that by yourself with Malignant, for example, it's like you can just get so bored. Especially if you're not into the characters. Exactly. Whereas I think Thomas brought up a great point in the Slither episode. Mm-hmm. It's like how important building that drama is yeah, yeah. to a horror movie. Yeah. Um, because, you, you know, you have to you have to feel for the characters to, to feel the scares. Yeah. And, and Gunn does that yeah. very well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Slither, for sure. Absolutely. I was aware of Cronenberg. I watched several Cronenberg's films before we started, like, discussing him this month. And it's been a trip. Yeah. It's been a trip. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if we were on the record when we were talking about this, but yeah, I mean, it's like, I can't imagine just binging his, like the amount of movies yeah, of his that you it's, saw. It's just, yeah. it's. I it mean, because I was kind of returning to some of them this year because I was developing a, a body horror script and uh, I even had to spread them out. I mean, <laughs> it's not like a thing you just kind of throw you on willy nilly. You yeah, just yeah. can't do. But yeah, but thank you so much. Oh, no problem, man. For Thanks coming for on. Yeah. We come in the 80s, and this is when Cronenberg finally kind of gets his, like, mainstream appeal. And he does Videodrome. And so, Thomas, what is Videodrome about? That's an excellent question. (laughs) Uh, It's about a man named Max, uh, played by James Woods, who runs a, like, a pirate television station. If if you're familiar with the uh, Weird Al Yankovic film uh uhf UHF, you might be familiar with a similar type of um pirate television station uh but his kind of specializes in like softcore porn and he has this guy on staff who just like watches other pirate stations to see like what kind of content people have and he starts taping this like hardcore snm porn show called videodrome in which people are tortured and seemingly murdered on tape even though they're sure it's just you know for the porn uh but max takes it to his uh kind of his hookup um what's her what's her name in the film i can't think of it but nate was it was it debbie harry's yeah. character or the other debbie person? harry debbie harry's character debbie, yeah. debbie harry's yeah nick nicky, nicky yeah, yeah. Nicky. debbie harry who plays this yeah. kind of sexy radio host in town and there they start this affair but she gets obsessed with videodrome and kind of drags him into it she says she's going to go like find where they make videodrome so she can be in it and proceeds to disappear and so max is in deeper now starts trying to figure out who's behind videodrome and it turns into this gigantic unraveling conspiracy involving multiple entities and uh weaponizing vhs tapes and it and brain tumors and trips and it gets insane it gets insane it does uh and what makes it even more ironic to me is that james wood is is in the movie yeah of all people (laughs) (laughs) because it's things not not to go into political this but it's things that like you watch as you go huh this is kind of what he's like on twitter (laughs) he's become he's become this person yeah this is essentially you know a a genre we've kind of talked about a lot maybe doing on the podcast at some point it's like the it's very 80s a little bit early 90s but like the 80s erotic thriller was like such a huge yeah thing and this is the body horror version version of of an erotic thriller (laughs) (laughs) that's fair yeah because it's a lot of yeah it's it's Again, a lot of his movies, he has like this these sex obsessed characters, or this like sex is a very big part of of this uh, of his films, and it's it's again, this is the first film where he gets actually funding from a studio from, 
he gets it's a universal movie and it feels like he's just like cool i got i finally got a big budget movie i'm gonna throw everything at the wall and like go really crazy with it and it's such a it's i mean it's weird it's like it's i think it's a very entrancing movie in a weird way just because like it's very much like videotrome that he's seeing it's like Mm -hmm. you kind of can't look away but don't fully know what's happening like how like deep we're going with things um with the politics and the kind of the foot like all these different things that are happening and like what the what the kind of like mystery of it all is i I loved one of the um one of the reviews on letterboxd was like hey hey if you're here logging this movie because you just watched it can i ask you a favor can you tell me what just happened in this movie (laughs) it's all laid out there but still it's just like okay i am not sure how to wrap my brain around what just went down and and it's 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 one that like it uh I feel like people, when it came out, didn't fully know how to take it. Got good reviews, um, but it was but it was a box office failure when it came out. Only making two point two point one million million dollars on a five point nine million dollar budget. But what's interesting about it is that like it was based on uh, sound weird. It was based on David Cronenberg's childhood or a childhood memory of his. Of apparently, when he lived in Toronto, he would get fee like the sick the signal for tv signals for uh tv stations in new york and in like america mm. and he always worried that like what if i see something i shouldn't see on these signals um mm. and that became kind of the basis for for video drum i th- so how do you feel this ranks in his body horror this is top this is top for me um okay top five probably but i it's it's one of those i'm not I, like I said, I've seen it. I'm not entirely sure what the story is, but as far as like <laughs> atmosphere, like I was in the atmosphere is amazing. Yeah, the atmosphere is amazing. Just, yeah, and and it. I think it, it, it. I think this is one of the best ones that he has as far as like creating an entire world. Like you, mm-hmm. like this feels like it's you know you watch you watch Shivers and you're like oh they only had access to this like one apartment building so they shot it there. You know, Videodrome yeah, is yeah, like yeah. he built this world around this movie. Um, so like as far as like scope and atmosphere and all that it this feels like him really coming into his own uh in all those senses he uses that studio yeah uh that studio help pretty pretty well for sure yeah it pays off and i yeah i i I agree i think this is overall in my and kind if i if i had to do rankings of all his stuff uh when i finish his like last few that i still have to do it's like this is probably like one or two for me with video drum of his movies. I think it's just, it's, it's also very short. So that's not, not so that's a, that's a big thing, but like it's a short film. So it doesn't stay wear out. It's welcome with the world that he's mm-hmm. giving you. Cause it's, if you, if you were in this movie for two hours, I don't know how it would feel. <laughs> well, and, and I think because it is, it's so twisty that you do kind of have a hard time keeping track of it, but and no, 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 like one sequence of it, like you said, outstays its welcome because there's always some kind of like world shattering twist about to drop on the, you. The, yeah, that he's that he has to figure out. Do you know a show called Video Drone? Video what? D R O M E, Video Drone, like you know, video circus, video arena. You know it? No. It's just torture and murder. No plot, no characters. Very, very realistic. I think it's what's next. And God help us. Better on TV than on the street. Excuse me? 
video drum happens and then he does the dead zone now the dead zone is kind of outside of fast company it's kind of his first one that's a it's a horror film but it's not a body i mean it's not a body horror film per se mm-hmm. but hit phys or mentally uh in the dead zone christopher walken's character does change because he, de- he develops some ability read the future of what's going to happen by touching someone it's based on a stephen king stephen king novel so it's like it's in the realm it's more sci-fi hmm. thriller than than a a body horror but it does deal i guess with the mental state of a character about develop psychic power so it's like very in line where like someone be like okay who's our who's the guy right now who directs psychic movies and you're like he just did scanners yeah so yeah, exactly. this one um and so we won't spend too much time on this because it's not a body horror movie, but, but what is, how do you feel about Dead Zone? So Dead Zone's about Johnny Smith who, who uh, develops this ability after a car wreck. Again, this, go with the motorcycle accident of, of, of Rabbit where he, they, she develops his power. He has a car wreck and he goes into a coma for like years, I think is what it is, five years, wakes up with this new ability where he can kind of predict the future or see the future by touching someone's uh, body and it's also kind of dividing like kind of three separate stories in a way where you kind of see like like it can easy you can easily see this being which it was later a TV show. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I was gonna like say. Singing. I I used to watch the Anthony Michael Hall show, so mm-hmm. I I didn't see this one until after I'd watched that show. So I was more familiar with the show. Um, I mean, as far as Stephen King adaptations go, this one's like one of the better ones. It's not great it's not in my top five of stephen king adaptations but it's definitely not in like my bottom ranking at all it's 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 fine yeah it's kind of the first one it feels like where like it was in that run of stephen king adaptations in the 80s like where it's after the shining but like no one knew what to do with after the shining because the shining didn't do go do too well um but then it's like you get like just all these other kind of films that occur um after it um but i think it's 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 the one that really opened it up in terms of critical reception where it's like Mm -hmm. the shinings now reassessed and people love but didn't like it it had been a while since carrie they're mostly all straight horror films like creep show or something or like cujo and the 83 is this kind of big year where it's cujo dead zone and christine and dead zone is kind of what really pops out as like this some it's a it's a smart horror film you can tell it's being done by like a really talented, talented filmmaker. So Dead Zone happens. It does very well. And then he leads into kind of it's his most mainstream film. And that is The Fly. So, Thomas, what is The Fly about? Fly is about a, a scientist, a kind of reclusive scientist, Seth Brumble, uh, who meets a, a reporter kind of invites her back to his lab to see his work they strike up this affair she becomes kind of his assistant but he's working on teleportation Mm -hmm. because he is severely motion sick and is kind of like it's kind of implied he's like kind of agoraphobic because he's so severely motion sick he can't really go anywhere so he's developing portation so he can travel places it's going really well but he unfortunately decides to test it on himself and when he is teleporting himself, tele- also teleports a fly that has gotten into the chamber with him, and the teleportation process splices his DNA with a fly so that he slowly morphs into the the human-sized version of a common house fly. 
and a lot of the kind of second half of the film is told from the reporter played by gina davis from kind of her viewpoint of like seeing this man that she was you know possibly recently falling in love with uh just completely mm. devolve into something monstrous and this is kind of, this is his the thing in a way in terms yeah. of like just practical effects of what he does what they do with the makeup and what they do in the kind of finale with the this huge ass fly that's just like grotesque and it's like it's really i mean the cast this is great goldblum and gia davis and john getz mm-hmm. uh who's who's her like editor a great trio of actors this is the one where it's like it feels like the most straightforward body horror movie. It's the mm-hmm. mo- it's the it's the Frankenstein film, the film basically where it's at like yeah. I think this one is his most effective in getting that kind of like like you know the the main themes of body horror across because in this one we feel like we feel for Seth Brundle. He's he's like a likable character. He's an empathetic character, and so that moment of like when he's at the computer when he starts to realize something's wrong, he's at the computer and he's like what if 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 brundle is number one what what is number two and it was like a fly and he was like how do i correct this and the computer's like you can't and that that to me that is like yeah of all the stuff that he's done that moment is like the the most body horror of any of it because he's he feels fine right then but he's like oh i don't know how long <laughs> this is going to take but my bot i'm going to lose yeah. my humanity from from this moment on i just know it and then you cont- and then you see that happen and so I, it, I mean it's it's it is horrific and i think you you talked about how cold his movies are i think because this movie does kind of get us we we feel for both of them and we kind of feel they've got great chemistry like we feel for them together and so this one is i think extremely effective in making us feel bad for seth and feel bad for for gina davis's character as as this whole transition is going down like we we feel awful to see this happening but we're also like you know gruesomely mesmerized by by seeing this transition and seeing these effects go down yeah it's, it's so him and Ron, ronnie's her name ronnie and seth it's like it's really much that first the first half of the movie is almost like their love story is kind of mm-hmm. what it is and that's what makes the the last the back half so impactful when everything kind of goes crazy for them is because you've seen how like how much they've fallen in love together and how like she's accepted him for his like uh idiosyncrasies and kind of all that and then he's like really wants to like he he wants to be with her and like she to him and that's what kind of turns into in that latter half is that she for him is kind of his last thing like last shred of humanity mm-hmm. is is her and kind of and and a, a, a little i won't go into it but like kind of i mean yeah she ends up being pregnant and and the worry is that like he i mean he's very obsessed like oh this baby could be my last like th- if this baby comes out it could be like a human form as the last thing i have like as me as a human is this baby when ronnie is worried that it's the opposite way is that it's going to be a fly baby basically yeah because yeah, no one's sure if if it was conceived before or after the fly dna was was spliced in yeah and so it's, but but he's like so like oh that's this is this is like my my chance to like to live on and again we've talked about this month of how like it's these characters and and these body horror ones with especially with the frankenstein model or the lovecraftian model as we talked about the thing it's like it's a character who knows the outcome of something becomes obsessed with the thing they're doing becomes consumed by that obsession 
and then fully becomes it. And that's kind of, mm-hmm. that's what happens here. But then also in this genre, I know it's like you sometimes have that moment where they've reached that point of almost like no return or something. They can't turn back, but they have that last kind of moment of humanity realizing mm-hmm. like what has to occur in order for people or for everything to kind of go back to normal in some way to survive right. or they reach out, they reach out for like some sort of help uh, in in a final moment of, of a body horror movie. And this one does that incredibly well. And I think, would you say if you're like, I guess with your starting, you would start probably here if you're like trying to get into Cronenberg, maybe. Yeah. I think, I think it's most, his most accessible as far as like storytelling goes. Yeah. And yeah. So if you watch this and you're like, yeah, I like those effects. Like, yeah, I think if, yeah, I think this is a good one. If you're interested, dive a little deeper. I also think the brood is a solid one. Okay. Because you know, it's, it's not too in your face with the effects. Um, so if you could like handle that and you're like, Hey, you want to see a little bit more of that go down this path. But I I Mm -hmm. think it's interesting. I was reading one of the reviews on letterbox. I think it was for shivers. It might've been for rabid, but, um, it started out i was i told you i was looking i'm, I'm always curious what like because i know there's a huge following of cronenberg and and so i was interested to hear like how kind of that camp of people feel and so i was looking for reviews that's that opened with like as a big fan of cronenberg's or whatever and yeah. on, on rabbit it <laughs> had something like i'm a huge fan of cronenberg's and i think this movie shows how, what cronenberg does best he doesn't have he's not the best he's not a great storyteller or something he was like he's he's not a great (laughs) storyteller but he's great at atmosphere or something like that and i was like yeah i think that's that's doing him a disservice i think the brood has a great story i think the fly has a great story and videodrome has a story i'm I'm not i'm still not sure what it is so like like sometimes you're right he does he's not as concerned with the story as with atmosphere but he has like pulled it off yeah well, I think, I think even to now body art, but I think the dead zone is one a lot of atmosphere, but I think also does have a good story. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting. The way he tells it is interesting and, and different for the time period. But I do, I think the fly, when we, when we talk about kind of, and it is a remake of one of the kind of early like fifties heart monster films. I think the fly is, is feels like a great modernization of not just that movie, but the, mm-hmm. the movies of that era of like the kind of like, love between a, a monster and a, and a woman you yeah. know like hunch the 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 universal version of hunchback and phantom of the opera and frankenstein's monster and king kong you know it, yeah. it's all in, in that kind of vein of like she's his last you know scrap his, she's his last hold on humanity but yeah exactly how, how long can she stand to look at him mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think too, it helps is that that I think Ronnie is such a Gene Davis character is such a like equal to Goldblum in this movie. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, like it's very much like a a lot of it's from her perspective is the thing. It's mm-hmm. like it's there is a lot of his perspective, but if you notice, like we don't fully see him transform from thing to thing. It's all from like her perspective when she like shows up and sees how he's changed since she last saw him yeah you don't see a lot of just him by himself this is such a great movie for goldblum because it's like yeah once he's not once he's not handsome anymore that like weird shtick he does gets gets real creepy real fast creepy you know? real quick. <laughs> <laughs> jeff goldblum's a good looking guy but when he's not good looking anymore his, you know that his whole vibes start getting real weird not human seth in fact very likely insect hairs 
That's silly. That's ridiculous. Look. Now there's more. Look at your face. Something happened when you went through, Seth. You've got to get some help. I think you must be sick. You You're jealous! I've become free. I've been released, and you can't stand it. You'll do anything to bring me down. Look at me. Does this look sick? Does this look like a sick man to you? No! Stop it! You know any sick men who can do that? Come here. No. Wheels off. I don't need you anymore. No, wait. Seth, please. Wait. Seth. Don't come back. So, The Fly, a few things. Only Cronenberg movie to win an Oscar hmm. is The Fly. It won for Best Makeup, is what it was. It, it deserved it. Uh, you know who was originally offered the role of Seth Brundle? Who? John Lithgow. Ooh. But turned it turned it down because it was too grotesque. Yeah, it's pretty grotesque. There you go. Uh, and then did you notice who produced the movie? Did I? I don't know. His name's oh, not in the credits. Stuart Cornfield. His company is. Well, that that's probably also that. But it's. Uh, yeah, I did know Stuart Cornfield produced it. Well, the name that's not on there, production company is Brooks Films. So the producer, the, I think the lead producer that was uncredited, Mel Brooks. Oh. The Fly. Really? I knew he had done Elephant Man. I didn't know. Elephant Man. He did this one as he well. He did this one. Wow. But yeah, Stuart Cornfield popped up and I, I specifically, I was like, oh, Stuart Cornfield. And uh, my fiance was like, who's that? And I was like, have you ever seen Tropic Thunder? Like, how do I explain <laughs> this to you? Yeah, he, yeah. Because he, he, he came to our class at, uh, what was it? Was the it was that TV was he? Was he? Which what class did he come to? Did he come to our? I think that was our five hundred eight. But you guys came that day because he was coming. Oh, you're right. You're right. Because I remember, I remember us being in that classroom that we later had that of uh, the TV with with uh, with Dick for, in. Right. For for those of you who weren't in our class at, uh, <laughs> at film school, uh, Stuart Cornfield. Uh, I think he passed away this year or last year, but he was twenty twenty. Yeah, uh, twenty twenty. He was Ben Stiller's producing partner for a long time, and supposedly the. Tom Cruise character in Tropic Thunder was heavily based on him. Yeah, at least the look of him. The least the look of him is very uh, similar. But no, he can't. Yeah, he came to our class. Uh, anyway, um, he's also and apparently he's in Fast Times at Richmond High. Stuart Cornfield. Um, but yes, yeah, so it was produced by Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks did not take did not have his name on the credits because he always felt that if people saw his name on a dramatic film or sci fi film like this. They would be confused and think it was a comedy. So he was kind of known for doing things like that. The big one being like the elephant man with David Lynch. And he also like liked working with interesting directors, some like Lynch mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, uh, Cronenberg kind of giving them a mainstream platform for their, um, body horror or their horror, horror uh, interest. So after the fly, he makes a, a bunch of movies in the 90s, but the, the body horror genre is like slowly going away from him. So he does Dead Ringers. It's the, the closest thing he's e- that Cronenberg's ever done to a biopic. It's about two gynecologists uh, that are twins that live in Toronto, and they come across a an actress that, come, that comes in their clinic who's trying to become pregnant, but she's infertile because she has this kind of a tri- like three cervixes, basically is what it is. So it's like impossible for her to become pregnant so they start trying to kind of help her and try to figure out a way to help like to help her out so it's dealing with kind of this body in like a realistic way is kind of Mm -hmm. the idea um but still a body horror because he still has kind of there's like one kind of dream sequence that turns into a body horror fully 
but it's interesting seeing because it's it's a it's based on two gynecologists in New York that that had a very interesting life and Cronenberg just like takes that idea and then like cool I'm gonna change it up and just fictionalize all of it but again another film that like feels very distant that's the one where this is the one where I realized like, oh his stuff is very cold like all mm-hmm. of his stuff is very cold and dead ringers really follows suit with that but Jeremy Irons who plays the two twins is amazing to actually create two distinct roles to where you can know which which one he is playing at that exact moment and it's it's a fascinating watch it's not one of my favorite of his but it's one that people do enjoy and I think just for Jeremy Irons performance it's amazing to see after Dead Ringers, he does Naked Lunch, which is him adapting one of his favorite authors, William S. Burroughs' Naked Lunch movie. He talk, It's also somewhat body horror in a way, not in the same uh, essence as the ones we've talked about, but it deals with kind of the same things of, like, uh, of sexual experimentation and kind of also it's the one where it feels the most like personal of what it's like to be a writer because it's about he, basically Cronenberg uh, um, takes stuff from Naked Lunch, uh, Burroughs' book, but also, like, melds it with Burroughs' actual life. So it's a very mm-hmm. interesting, like, biopic slash surrealist movie. Roy Scheider pops up in it and is amazing <laughs> for the brief role he is because Roy Scheider, I'm going to keep harping on, is probably the most yep. underrated actor of his, gen- as as of his generation. <laughs> He's only in a few scenes, but I was like, hell yeah, Roy Scheider's here, baby. But yeah, it's, a, it's like one of the movies where it really comes to a head. It's a good kind of ending point for his body horror genre of that of like the 80s and the 70s where kind of is he throws everything at the wall it feels like in terms of practical effects in terms of character he's just like so it's into the symbolism of everything it's the mix of 1950s and 1980s it's just but it's also kind of a hard film it's not one you should start with this is one you go later on down (laughs) the line in the Cronenberg world Um, but that's what he does he does that and that's kind of the that closes the chapter kind of on that genre and that's when we get into m butterfly and extends this kind of in that realm that stars jude law and um jeffrey jason lee um the big one i want to bring up real quickly that he did in the 90s it's not body horror but was very impactful was crash and david kind of talked about that uh in our interview and crash was such a kind of like hated film but also a hated film by some and 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 praised by others and it was just very uh, uh, mixed and is still very mixed. Again, very cold film, and a, a lot of these too to go off crash. Like a lot of these are on Criterion right now. Or Criterion, like the actual disc, like Crash is on Criterion. Um, Naked Lunches, The Brood is, Videodrome is, Scanners is. Like he has a bunch of Criterion films. So please go check check them out if you can. Extends is a very extends is a very interesting movie to look at in terms of like what it deals with like uh like virtual reality and like what he's kind of hitting on in 1999 that feels still like kind of relevant uh today in terms of how it's like it's very interesting watching that and like look at how like the Matrix is happening at the same time because it's about a character who like goes into a a video game essentially it's very much Ready Player One 1.0 is kind of what it feels <laughs> like with Jude, with Jude Law of like they're going into this game to figure out what's kind of happening out in the real world. And then, and then the two thousands, this we kind of like his, his, his output gets lesser and lesser kind of each decade and the two thousands making spider a history of violence and Eastern promises, a history of violence and Eastern promises kind of being his two most 
visibly seen movies, I feel, with mm-hmm. Viggo Mortensen in both. Eastern Promise, I just watched the first time last night. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, again, it, it it still has a little bit of a distance to it and, like, the, and the coldness of it, of what he goes for. But again, like I said, very different compared to these films we've talked about with body horror. But Vigo, Vigo's great in both films mm-hmm. uh, with the History of Violence, Eastern Promises. Vigo will be nominated for for Best Actor uh, in Eastern Promises. And I think History of Violence would receive, William Hurt would be nominated for an Oscar uh, in History of Violence. So just a very different, but interesting kind of like it's a crime movie. And it feels like, because History of Violence is based on a graphic novel, it feels yeah. like you're seeing some of that, that kind of love that he had for comics or some way of like how to tell because so, both, I think History of Violence is this way, but Eastern Promises specifically feels like you can go on with the story in some way. Like, it doesn't fully end mm-hmm. at the end of Eastern Promises. So, yeah, and then in 2010s, he does A Dangerous Method, which weirdly was, I think, my first Cronenberg film was A Dangerous really? Method of all. Maybe. It's either that or The Fly. But I think, because it came out at the video store at one point. Uh, and and then he has Cosmopolis with Robert Pattinson and the Maps, Maps of the Stars with Julianne Moore, John Cusack, Robert Pattinson, Mia Wasikowski uh, in Maps of the Stars. Kind of hit and miss for people, not really loved by many, but some kind of have an interesting kind of viewpoint of Maps of the Stars. Maps of the Stars, so far as his last movie, is also the only film he has shot any in L.A., he didn't. Hmm. She hasn't shoot. He hasn't shot anything else before Maps of the Stars in Los Angeles. It's all either been Canada or places like overseas, and not L.A. America. He hasn't really shot in America outside of of those. It's all been in Canada. Um. So yeah, that's kind of the rundown of David Cronenberg in terms of films. So let's go to stats. All right. Most popular. The Fly. The Fly is number one. Video drum. Video drum number two. Scanners. Not scanners. Scanners is sixth actually. Wow. Okay. Are we talking body horror or, or not body harm? Okay. Crash. Crash is five. Okay. And then history of violence. History of violence. Number three. Yeah. Number Eastern three. Promises. Number three. Number four. There we go. Okay. So I yeah. like that. So bot. So good, good combination of everything yeah. of the body horror with the first two, with this kind of new kind of crime driven films, the history of violence, Eastern promises, and then crash, which is, as David put in the interviews, as he he kind of defends as a body horror in some way about about characters who are like have gained some sort of power about their body and it's transformed them in a physical and mental way. Um, so yeah, all right. Bottom three um, least popular movies. Is it is are any of them out of the body horror era? Nope, okay. nope, they're not. I'll just tell you, it's it's a uh, spider, which I why I still have to see. Uh, that I have, I didn't have time to watch. Uh, David has told uh, gave me his DVD. Uh, Ray Fiennes is in that. Ray Fiennes, Miranda Richardson, uh, Gabriel Byrne, great cast. Mm. Lynn Redgrave came out in 2002. It's kind of been forgotten, but uh, some kind of consider a very underrated film in the Cronenberg catalog. Uh, then it's M Butterfly with Jeremy Irons, and then Fast Company at the bottom with only 2,800 watches on Letterboxd. Wow. Okay, average rating. What are the top three highest rated? Fly. Fly is number one. Nice. Uh, I, this is weird. Like think, I like think, video think, drum. Think Letterbox. Like, think video drum is number like two. Letterbox people are into video drum. Um, they are. That, again, it was the dude who got upset with me because I hadn't seen video drum. So yeah, video drum number two on the list. Um, number three. Is it? Is it body horror? It's not body horror. Oh, 
Is it Eastern Promises? It's Eastern Promises, okay. number three. Cool. Yeah. And number four, a little surprising, Dead Ringers. Oh, interesting. I was a little surprised Dead Ringers got that high. To put in perspective, 15 of his movies, no, 17 of his movies have over a three on Letterboxd. All highly rated films. Like, The Brood is, is seventh, but it has a 3.6 on here. So, very highly rated. Bottom three, none are in body horror. Just give them to me. Let me hear. Uh, Dangerous Method at number three, bottom three at three point one. Again, still not that not that low. Uh, Cosmopolis two point nine with Robert Pattinson, and then at the very bottom, Fast Company at two point seven. I feel like some people again. Letterboxd is not big on race cars. Got to say that's true, and they probably just like, how dare you, Cronenberg, make a movie about cars and it not be Christine? (laughs) And so yes, the future of Cronenberg two. His next movie comes out next year 2022 called crimes of the future which is the same name as one of those art films that he did back in 1970 he said it's not a remake so it's not a remake but the title just really worked for what he was doing but it stars Viggo mortensen kristen stewart's also in the film they shot last year or i shot this summer actually 2021 this summer I think in Greece is where it was at. It's overseas and overseas somewhere. It also feels like it could be an alternate title for Minority Report. Yeah, but but <laughs> uh, Vigo did say Vigo Mortensen did say it's like it's gonna harken back to his old body hard days. Let's go. But a crime, like kind of like a a, a noir crime story. So maybe he because he because he because Vigo's like he seems like he's fine with like just kind of being retired because Maps of the Stars was in 2014. He hasn't made a movie since. But yeah, so this could be, I don't know if this be his last hurrah, and he's going back to the body horror genre. I'm not sure, but we'll find out 2022. So final director questions, is Cronenberg an auteur? That's an interesting, I, I think because he's had so many different phases in his life, it's it's kind of hard to call. But I do think like, you know, we've definitely seen some like similar themes breaking out, especially among his body horror stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he feels like somebody who kind of, changes with I, I i wish i knew more about his life because I, I there are like similar themes in his later like in between history of violence yeah. and eastern promises so it's like is that reflecting what he's going through in his life i'm not sure but i i it, it that's a tough call because he has changed so much but i think there's definitely that kind of through line in his earlier stuff where you can watch it and you can go this is this is a cronenberg film he is the ultimate author of this film for better or yes. for worse to be honest yeah I agree. I think it's 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 somewhere in the '90s where it gets kind of lost in that when he's when he's doing kind of other genres, which is fine. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad. It's not a bad thing at all. Um, so that's totally fine. So speaking of that, you're talking about the themes that run through those films that are very connected. What are his running themes? I don't know if cancer is a theme, but this this idea of like our bodies, our body, the horror coming from within us. It's not from yeah outside. It is our bodies are trying to kill us all along um and then specifically just kind of like advances in science in general like let's not push science guys uh it's so yeah the de- a lot of that definitely harkens back to like the mad scientist like you guys were talking in your interview with about hp lovecraft um and kind of like mad scientist from stories from frankenstein and that sort of thing but i yeah. think he's definitely continuing that of of all of these ideas of like yeah that's true science and innovation are it can really mess us up if 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 done if yeah if pushed a certain way it's like i think it's i think he's thinking that like people don't realize how i guess um 
unstable it can become and how mm-hmm. unstable it can become so quickly. What other genre, what genres does he work with then outside of body horror? Um, I do think he's a lot of his movies have like, especially like video drum and brood have this kind of like mystery. Like we said, like in murder investigation almost to it. Um, yeah. Kind of Who done it uh, aspect going on. So kind of that like mystery thriller for sure. I agree completely. And it extends kind of has a little bit of that as well. Like, um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's some very interesting stuff in that. And then you go back into like kind of the, the, the crime stuff with the history of violence, Eastern promises, some not really there. There's really interesting twist. I don't know how where to put this at in this episode, but like he has really interesting twist in those later films, like Eastern promises. Some stuff happens to go, Oh, I mm-hmm. didn't know that's what's going on here. Like at a certain point, history of violence, very similar um, of what he does with that. So, so yeah, so yeah, body horror is that, um, weirdly what, what i found very funny about cronenberg he talks about how like he goes yeah it's it's yeah it's kind of hard but like i also find all my films to be very funny so he thinks his films are very funny <laughs> so that's kind of it on cronenberg and that kind of leads to our last kind of section before we close out the month final genre questions um what are some uh some other films that we didn't talk about this month and kind of how do they fit i guess that we that you've how I fit into the, the the genre of it all. Well, something I said in our first episode this month was that I wanted to answer myself in this dive we were doing is what is the difference between torture porn and body horror and is torture porn mm-hmm. like another branch off of body horror? And I think what I've come away with now is um, I think and, and it part of it came from that interview we read with um, Eli Roth during when we were talking about Slither, but this idea of like torture porn is meant to be as like brutal and realistic as possible. And I don't think anything in body horror is meant to be realistic. I mean, even in something like uh brood, like we were talking about that actor that appears in a lot of his films when we're talking about like his tumors, yeah. you know, something like very yeah. realistic, a, a yeah. tumorous lymph node, you know, it's, it's grotesque and, and not realistic in the way that a tumor on your neck would look, you know? Um, so even when he's trying in like Cronenberg, when he's trying to ground himself in reality, there's something kind of fantastical to it. And so another movie that I visited, I thought were the answer to the difference between body horror and torture porn, I thought the answer might be in Hellraiser, which is a body horror movie <laughs> that is about torture and porn. Um, yeah. And so I, I watched that one. I'd never seen the original. And yeah. Yeah, it's got these scenes of like hooks going into skin, but it's never it's it's never depicted in the way that like modern torture porn is like this is, you know, Hostel was always like this is a true story about people yeah. who went to Europe and never returned. And like body horror is not like that. Um there's always this either like science fiction or supernatural aspect to it, especially science fiction. A lot of the movies we've watched this month are also science fiction films. So I think that 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 kind of like fantastical element to it is what sets it aside is um, it's it's not this idea of like, what if I stripped your skin off? It's like, what if your body yeah. mutated in a way that all of your skin shed off itself? And, yeah, you know? itself. Yeah. yeah, it's the fly. It's the what happens to the fly at the end. It's like yeah. you shed yeah, every, yeah. all your skin off. And so in that note, a movie that came out a little bit more recently, more in the torture and porn era that I think did not do so well because it was a lot more old school body horror 
um, that you and I saw together was Tusk. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've I've revisited Tusk since, and I think of in the last couple of years because when you and I saw it, it was like shot down immediately. And in fact, Kevin immediately, Smith immediately, immediately, Kevin Smith came to the screening we were at with like a wad of cash and was like, "I'll give you back your admission your money. money if you want it, like if you hated this movie." Um, but I, I've seen it recently making the rounds of like people because I think it's streaming somewhere and people are like, "Yo, this movie is crazy." Um, and it does kind of have that. It is grotesque, but it has that kind of like tongue in cheek, fantastical element that these other body horror movies are. And the more I watch this like eighties body horror, I'm like, Oh, Tusk is just trying to do that. Um, so yeah, yeah I think if you haven't seen that one yet and you enjoyed some of the movies we talked about this month, I definitely seek that out. I knew, I knew Hellraiser was coming. I was not expecting Tusk to be the next one, but that's interesting. That's an interesting pick. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the sci-fi element because that's the thing that that I w- I was dis- like figuring out early on. It's like everyone considers Invasion of the Body Snatchers like a sci-fi horror. It's not really body horror, but it is it is body horror. But that's a, that's an interesting kind of uh, distinction of saying how like sci-fi is kind of in the realm of body horror. It's more body horrors can also m- mostly be in the more sci-fi realm than actually the straight horror mm-hmm. realm is kind of the thing. So that's a good point. Ones I would say. I'll throw out The Hidden. The Hidden is a movie from 1987 um, with Kyle MacLachlan where it's about a it's a it's a buddy cop movie where one is uh, an FBI agent and the other I'm sorry, one is an L.A. detective and the other is kind of an alien. And that's Kyle MacLachlan hmm. who's posing as a, as a FBI agent. A little bit of a spoiler. Sorry about that. Um, but like or he's not, I think only he's an alien, but he's investigating alien it's almost like men in black-esque in mm-hmm. a way where he play. he's not an alien but he plays like a men in black type guy uh who gets partnered with the la detective to figure out like this alien who's switching bodies in la as they're like trying to track them down um so hidden's really good uh that's what i would say and then kind of the traditional ones like invasion of the body snatchers original or the 1970s if you haven't seen it um all right next question you kind of did a little bit, a little bit of this with the torture, porn, horror thing, but what did you learn overall with this, with about like this month with the body horror genre? Yeah, like uh, we were saying, I think there's definitely like a sci-fi aspect to a lot of these. Yeah, from yeah. like aliens to like we were talking about with Cronenberg, how so much of it has to do with like scientific even the even the innovation. thing, even the thing, yeah, yeah even the thing mm-hmm. has a sci-fi element to it. Yeah, yeah. So so whether or not it's a it's a it's an invasion from outer space or just something that was created in a lab, there. It, it, it definitely has its roots in like the, like you were saying the mad scientist kind of mm-hmm. genre and frankenstein and, and that sort of thing a lot more you know like hellraiser is one that is more like supernatural you know, demons and mm-hmm. and hell and that kind of stuff but there's body horror doesn't often intersect with like except for like maybe like werewolf body yeah. horror with a couple of the american werewolf in london and and the howling those kind of movies can get into body horror, but a lot of times it's more sci-fi skewed than supernatural, which I was not expecting. Yeah. Same. Like I said, same. I, I wasn't fully uh, expecting that to be the kind of big occurrence. I guess I was thinking because of the, like you said, the grotesque, like practical effects, like it was just going to be like a straight kind of horror, but it really has just like, it's more, it's more sci-fi than, than straight horror. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's body horror is a, is a hybrid of the two genres essentially. And I also just wasn't expecting kind of this whole body heart again when researching it at the beginning and kind of finding the main theme of like 
the idea of like body heart the core is about like finding and keeping ones or trying to losing one's humanity and trying to fight to keep it mm-hmm. um was what a lot of them a lot of them are so yeah David kind of answered this, but I'm going to ask you too. Where do you think the genre is now? I think it. May, I think it might be coming back. I think we're. I think we've gotten yeah. beyond torture porn. Um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday who watched Spiral and like hated it. Um, but like I, uh-huh. I don't like Spiral. Like didn't do well. Like I don't think there's demand for that. It's really interesting. I just I just watched the documentary Haunters. And they were asking mm-hmm. kind of why in the like 2000s haunted houses started to go towards like torture and being much more realistic. And they they equated it directly. This is a whole other episode, but they equated like the torture porn movement with like the images coming out of Abu Ghraib. And like the during uh-huh. the war on terror, like we were starting to be subjected to like actual torture on the news. And so interesting if we were seeing that in the news, the things we saw in movies needed to be like even more gritty than that, you know? Yeah, um, and ground. Yeah, yeah, grounded in a way. Yeah, like but I do home. think I, I I could see an opening for for body horror coming back. You know, there's been some stuff in like popular horror the last couple of years I can think of that felt kind of body horror esque. There's there's a couple of mm-hmm. things in Hereditary that felt mm-hmm. you know like they were coming out of a body horror side of things. Um, so I, I could definitely see it making a comeback in this like current age of kind of rediscovering horror and, and different subgenres mm-hmm. of horror that we're in right now especially with you know i could see i could see a24 throwing some money at somebody who um <laughs> want to explore body horror and i've, I've heard I, I didn't get a chance to see it this month i wanted to but i've heard brandon cronenberg's film possessor which he's he's uh david's son um i heard it kind of carves he's kind of carving his own way as far as like what modern body horror can be so i i am Mm -hmm. going to try and check that out by the end of the month yeah it's like with possessor and antiviral um but yeah and even like james wan malignant deals in Mm -hmm. the body horror genre um some people put i think swallow was another one that some people have said with the Haley bennett from 2019 yeah so I, i think the really cool thing of this like new age of horror we're in right now with people like jordan peele and ari aster is this idea that like torture porn is dead that era of like everything dark gritty all the time is gone that we we have so many more routes of horror that we can explore there's so many more yeah. subgenres, and so I, I think we are starting to branch out again and, I agree. and so I, I think i think the door's open right now i think we could see it come back for sure and i'd love to see i think everyone there's there's been in the last couple of years a big push amongst film fans in general just to see practical effects yeah uh, so you know that's that's where that's where body horror lives that's its sweet spot so yeah let's do it let's see some more well that's all we have for you on this month of body horror next month we're doing we're bringing an old topic that we did at the very beginning of one of the initial revamps of the show uh and that's 24 hour movies so movies that take place over 24 hours or one crazy night movies as, as thomas will say uh we have an interesting lineup of movies we're doing after hours we're doing thank god it's friday you're gonna find yeah. out what that is yeah thomas's pick yeah, have a little fun. Currently, it's on Prime. Just go catch up. That's our second episode. Doing Collateral, and then we're going to end the month with Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. So it's going to be a fun month of 24-hour movies. Spending all night doing some crazy stuff. It's going to be great. And that's all we have for you today on our David Cronenberg episode. Make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to the show on. Literally, write whatever you want. We just, we just <laughs> want to hear from you. 
and any kind of interaction with us on any platform you know how the internet works it boosts it boosts our, if you if you click on anything it boosts our visibility so let's go let's do it <laughs> let's do it just help, help a simple click a simple a plus great review it's great five stars so yeah and if you haven't already make sure you like us on facebook twitter and instagram all that jazz thomas as always thank you for joining me thank you for having me it has been it's been a trip this month it's been a wild october baby uh i'm gonna go watch some more elvis movies to cleanse the palate <laughs> thank you all for listening we have to listen to more episodes soon bye